What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss. It's been a little while since we released an episode. The last one was with Tony Gamble, a good friend of mine. Uh, five characteristics of high trust teams. Lots of great feedback on that. That that conversation and his work really added some layers to to what we do when we talk about high trust teams. Today, we're going to break down six critical elements of psychological safety. I recently was was asked to come and present at the FBI National Academy Associates Annual Conference in Anchorage, Alaska. I just returned this past week. Got a chance to to meet and work with over 90 police executives from all over Alaska. The topic was protecting the protectors. It's how to prevent, mitigate, eliminate, treat PTSD and the police. And so when we talk about prevention and elimination, one of the one of the big big things is there has to be very high levels of psychological safety. You see, there's a lot of reasons why police officers don't seek help. They're afraid to be treated different by leadership. They're afraid of the stigma. If they're losing their job, they feel weak. They think it's going to harm their career overall. They think the team's going to lose confidence in them. Times leaders discourage people come forward and ask for help. There's organizational barriers. So this conversation isn't going to be about PTSD or the police. But from my research leading up to the event and really dialing in the critical components and elements of psychological safety. There are six that will create these environments where whether you're in a police department or you're in a hospital or you're in a law office or you're in a factory or you're in a school, whatever organization you're in, whatever organization you're in, if you create a culture founded in this, these six elements, the level of psychological safety is going to be super, super high. Can't wait to get into this. Let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals, organizations, and communities rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today we're going to be talking about the six critical elements of psychological safety. I do want to begin by acknowledging the incredible work of Amy Edmondson. She defines psychological safety as a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes they have made. And I've, I've added a little bit to that. And to say a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, mistakes, or asking for help. It's crazy how ever since COVID, there's a lot of people struggling in the workplace. And while this podcast isn't going to be about that, if we implement these six elements of psychological safety, we'll create environments where people are not afraid to ask for help, where people will acknowledge they're struggling. And when we think about the power and benefit of that, when we think about you know the environment, the work experience, the energy that people bring, uh, people's motivation, people's dedication to the organization, people's willingness to collaborate, to be creative, to be innovative. If, if we're struggling or if there aren't high levels of psychological safety within the environment, Things like teamwork, collaboration, attitude, morale, engagement, productivity, overall performance, and if you're in the private sector, profits decrease significantly. 
Psychological safety is pillar one of our seven pillars of ownership framework. And if we want people to really have ownership, to feel this extreme emotional and psychological connection to the organization, to their team, to the goals of the organization, there has to be psychological safety. So let's jump in to these six critical elements. What are they? Element number one, be human. Element number two, trust. Element number three, inclusion. Element number four, encouragement and support. Element number five, justice and consistency. And element number six, one voice leadership. So let's dive into number one, be human. There's four areas that I've identified that are critically important to display that we're human, that display that it doesn't matter rank or title, we're all human beings. We all, we all go through the human experience. And you got to understand, people don't want to work for gods. They don't want to work for people that are perfect. They don't want to work for people that always know the answer, that are always right. You know, they don't want to work for people who are always talking about their accomplishments or their successes. You see, as human beings, we don't connect with people. We don't bond and establish relationships with people based on all the great things they do. We, we establish this bond and this connection through that human experience of struggle, of challenge, uh, during times of change, times of adversity, failure. And when leaders can be human and display humility and vulnerability, it gives other people permission to be human as well. And so the four critical elements of being human that we've identified are empathy, compassion, humility, and vulnerability. So let's stick with humility and vulnerability right now. So while this is so important when we were talking about PTSD and the police, we're talking about leaders being able to say, hey, I am struggling. Hey, this happened to me years ago. This incident really stuck with me. But break that down to, to a level that isn't near as serious as that. Break it down to a level of a leader being able to just say to their team, hey, I messed up. Hey, I made the wrong decision. I made a mistake. You know, when I was coming up through the ranks and I was in your job, this mistake is nothing compared to the mistakes I made. And then being willing to share what those state mistakes were and how we overcame them, right? I believe that our relationship with failure is one of the most important relationships we'll ever have. And so as leaders, we have to take that kind of a mindset and be able to implement that through all levels of the organization. Because if people are afraid to fail, they're never going to be creative. They're never going to be innovative. They're never going to step outside their comfort zone. They're never going to be pushing themselves or the organizations forward. And I know there's certain projects and certain things and certain situations where we don't want to have failure. But in a, every day-to-day, people got to understand failure is okay. And this has to be demonstrated first and foremost by the leader. The humility and vulnerability. Now, Leaders think, I got to be tough. I got to be strong. People won't respect me um, if I'm not seen as invincible or if I'm not seen as Superman or Wonder Woman. And that just, that just isn't the case. 
that just isn't the case at all. And we have to have boundaries on our vulnerability and boundaries on what we share. We've got to have an awareness on where people are at in different moments in time. But being humble, recognizing and demonstrating day in and day out that we're just human beings because we have a title doesn't make us any better than anybody else. It's just that's what our role is in the organization. And being vulnerable enough to show our, share our pain points, our struggles, our different things that are going on. Let's dive into empathy. I believe empathy is the heartbeat of leadership. And earlier this summer, uh, shortly after the Midwest Summit on Leadership, uh, we'd hosted that here in Dixon, Illinois. There are four keynotes. One of those keynotes was done by Heather Younger. And her keynote was creating a culture of listening. And after her keynote, I decided I want to go back and sharpen up on my listening skills on, and really as it relates to active listening. For those that are following me quite a bit, you know that I was a police officer for 21 years. I created our hostage crisis negotiations team. I went to the FBI hostage negotiation school um, and several other negotiation schools. And so I go back to my office and in my office, there's, um, there's a closet and within that closet, I've got a lot of the best training manuals saved. Uh, trainings that I've had throughout my entire career. And I start going through this big binder from the FBI hostage negotiation school and I come across the FBI behavioral change model. So this model, you just you know take a second and envision this. It's a stairway. And so it begins with no relationship. It begins with getting called out to somebody who's committed a, a violent crime, has fled, uh, potentially held up in a home armed with a hostage or multiple hostages. It can be somebody that committed a crime, fled from the police, and held up by themselves armed, threatening to harm themselves or the police. Could be somebody that's struggling with suicidal thoughts. Somebody that is having a really tough time, a really hard time in their life, and they're threatening to harm themselves. And you get called there, we get called there to talk to them, to connect with them in all of these situations to get them to voluntarily comply with us, to release the hostages, to put their gun down, to come out and surrender, or to allow us to help them in the case of a suicidal person. And so within this FBI behavioral change model, it's no relationship. First step is empathy. Second step is rapport. Third step is influence. And then the final step is the behavior change. And this is where we have a peaceful resolution. And it is amazing, more than 95% of the time, when we're in these high stress and intense situations, the person surrenders, they allow us to help them. Now, this happens over a period of time through conversations, through the negotiation process, which is fueled by the secret ingredient of active listening skills. And so I, I share this with you because as I looked at this framework and as I looked at this model, it hit me. Empathy. Empathy has been the driver of all of the success in my career as a police officer, as an investigator, as a criminal interrogator, as a hostage negotiator, as a leader. Empathy is the great connector. Why is empathy so important? You know, we see a lot of things on the outside, on the surface. You know, my wife, Fyler, and I were talking, and it's amazing how true this ends up being. She says, you know, we see posts on Facebook and something extra lovey-dovey from a couple or a picture where they look super happy. And she said, you know, a lot of times those posts come 
because a couple's fighting because they're having a rough stress, they're having a rough time. And sure enough, you dig into a little bit, you talk to people, that's, that's the case. As human beings, we put on a facade. Just because you see somebody smiling and they look happier than they've ever been doesn't mean they're happy. Same thing in the workplace. Um, these expressions, their body language, their tone. I mean, think about it. When's the last time somebody said, hey, how's it going? How you doing? And at the time, you were actually struggling. But when's the last time that you didn't just say, I'm good, I'm fine, things are okay, things are great. And you said, you know what? I'm glad you asked. Can, can you have a seat? I, I can't wait to get this off my chest. No, that's not what we do, right? We put on this facade. And so what we don't know and we don't understand are all the things that are going on underneath. And you picture this iceberg, right? What, above what you see, below what you don't see. You don't see the traumas they've been through. You don't see the struggles they're going through. You know, maybe they're going through struggles with their teenage children. Maybe they're, they're in a tough point or a rough spot in their marriage. Maybe they've had a falling out with a friend. Maybe there's financial issues. You know, maybe there's some underlying mental health issues. Um, we don't know. Maybe they have a tough time letting go of things and they're carrying around regrets and, and thoughts. Uh, maybe they're, they're holding on to their past. Maybe they suffered a loss. And so this is why it's so important, you know, with empathy being the great connector, that we get to know the whole person. That we get to know people beyond the four corners, the four walls of our organization. Because that's where the gold is. I used to think, and we used to be taught, that it's all about work. It's just about what happens in the workplace. You know, what's going on in somebody's personal life is none of our business. And if they don't want to share it, we got to have appropriate boundaries. But most people do want to share. Most people do want to connect on a deeper level. Most people don't want to just be an end to a mean. They don't want to just be a number in the organization. They want to feel valued. They want to feel seen. They want to feel accepted, supported, appreciated. They want to feel cared for. And part of that is connecting with people deeper and beyond that. So we're not going to go into the seven critical components of empathy. I'm going to save that for another episode. But but I do want to share this quote from Maya Angelou because it's so important when we think about empathy. She said, people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. As human beings, we're driven by our emotions. We're driven by the way we feel. And the way we make somebody feel begins to you know put our stamp on them in a positive or a negative way and it drives our relationship it drives our influence our lack of influence it drives the emotions people feel when they see us coming when they've got a meeting with us when we're working together on a team and so empathy being a great connector being human being vulnerable also important now let's talk about compassion and at its core and it's, it's definition, you know, compassion is all about wanting to relieve the struggle and the pain of another person. And so just like in leadership, when I think of empathetic leadership and leadership and empathy, when I think of empathy and leadership, it's a lot more about meeting somebody where they're at and climbing into the hole with them when they're struggling and let them know they're not alone. Empathy is about really trying to get to know the whole person. Empathy is about listening for words beyond meaning. It's being aware of energy shifts, intentionally giving others what they need, understanding what others' goals are, right? Empathy is about understanding. And when we truly understand the other person and we know them as a whole person, it gives us a roadmap on how to lead them. It, it allows us to know what motivates them, 
What are they passionate about? What work do they enjoy? What work that they do doesn't really light them up? You know, what are their fears? You know, so empathy is, is so much more than just connecting with somebody who's struggling. And I believe compassion is the same way. So when we think about compassionate action, right, once we understand what people need, I think compassion is about intentionally giving them what they need. If we have a team member who really uh, responds well to appreciation, to recognition, intentionally giving them that, whether it's something we need or not, is, is very important. If we got a team member who really likes coaching and mentoring, giving that to them. If we, like, if we have a team member who likes to be autonomous, who likes to work on their own and likes to come to us when they have a question, well, then give them that. And so when you think about empathy and compassion, think about it much deeper when we talk about it in leadership than, than somebody struggling and trying to alleviate their struggling. It's about getting to know somebody, having that map on how to lead them individually, and then taking the action that, that fills what it is that they need to put them in a position to, to be their very best and to have the, the success they desire. So that's being human. We could talk about that all day. Number two, trust. Trust is the currency of leadership. Without trust, without trust, leadership cannot exist. And without trust, psychological safety cannot exist. Now, people have asked, you know, what's the difference between trust and psychological safety? So trust is really between a person, one, it's between two people, okay? David Horsager defines trust, the, the national um, you know, worldly worldwide trust expert defines trust as a confident belief in a person or an organization. Okay. So trust is between two people. Psychological safety, on the other hand, is between groups of people. In an organization, that might be your immediate team, your immediate supervisor, the executive leadership. It, it might be, um, you know, how we feel the entire organization is going to react in certain situations. So, so, that, so that's the, the big difference, right? Like trust is between two people. Psychological safety is between multiple people, groups, teams, organizations. When we think about trust, there's, there's several things that I think are important in building trust. When we're building organizations where people feel comfortable to come forward and admit they're struggling, um, I think courage is a huge trust builder. And when I talk about courage, what I mean is, that the leader always does what's right regardless of how difficult it is. The leader always chooses to support their team when their team is right versus taking the pathway that would benefit them the most. The leader always has the courage to stand up for their team when, when decisions are made that might put their team in harm when decisions are made that'll make the job tougher, when decisions are made that will negatively impact their team. So as a leader, having courage and a team knowing that you support them is real important. Character and integrity. It ties into the courage. You know, character is believing in certain values, is standing for certain things, and integrity is doing it even when it's under the, the most difficult circumstances. Integrity is walking the talk, right? And when we have character and when we have integrity, that goes a long way to building trust. The next thing is transparent communication. How many people here listening to this episode, how many of you 
have ever said, you know what, I'm sick and tired of all the communication around here. I am sick and tired of knowing everything that's going on. I'm sick and tired of knowing everything that impacts my job. Nobody's got their hand up, right? Nobody ever says that because communication is one of the biggest problems within every organization. And so I think proactive communication is one of a leader's greatest tools, going out, meeting people where they're at, proactively communicating about the things going on within the organization, big things that people could be proud of, you know, changes maybe coming down the road or things to keep an eye out that could impact their job, ways we're trying to make people's jobs better. So this transparent communication is really important. And, you know, even when there's bad news, we've just got to be open. We've just, we've, we've got to be honest, right? Because if we're out acting like everything's okay, if we're out talking to people about things in the future, and then all of a sudden we lay off, you know, 10% of the workforce, things didn't line up there. And, and those types of things, when we don't just communicate transparently, they destroy trust. Next one's competency. We got to be competent. A leader doesn't have to know everything. A leader doesn't have to have all the answers, but we do have to have a good base and knowledge within the specific field that we're in. And we've got to stay up on that. We've got to stay up on our leadership competencies is what you're doing right now. You know, listening to this episode, you know, we got to stay up on the technical competencies of the job and we got to understand what people, what, what people need from us. And we've got to be able to be proficient in that. Competency doesn't mean you have to know all of it. It's about knowing who does. Who can we connect them to? Who can we get them help with? Tying into that courage and character and integrity is having our teams back. How powerful is it when you know that your boss, that your leader has your back, that they're going to go to war for you if you're right? They're going to stand by you. They're going to, they're, if, if you stumble, if you fall, if you make a mistake, they're going to pick you up. They're going to dust you off. Huge. And that ties in to protect your team. When our job as leaders is a lot like, our job as parents. Our job is to protect our children. That doesn't mean do everything for them. That doesn't mean protect them when they're wrong. But when they're right, or when we see a danger coming, or we see a problem, our job is to protect them. Our job is to step in and to help them. And we've got to let them learn. And we can't baby them and we can't be that helicopter parent or helicopter leader. But it is our job to, to protect, protect our team. Decision-making. Does the leaders make decisions that benefit them or they make decisions that benefit the team and the organization? You see, I think the essence of servant leadership is that we always make the decisions that are in the best interest of our team and our organization. We always prioritize that first. It's never about what's good for us as a leader. I think that's really important in the decision-making side. It doesn't mean that the decisions we make will end up benefiting us, but that has to be on the very bottom of the list. Next thing, a couple more things on trust here. And this is and this is really important, respect. When you respect people, like there's going to be decisions that are made that everybody doesn't like. There's going to be decisions. That, there's no way that we can please everybody all the time. And as a leader, if everybody's happy with you at every single moment, you're probably not doing your job because you're probably not making the tough decisions. There's no way. Everybody's so different. What we like, what we dislike. And so there's no way we can have everybody happy all the time. But but even if people aren't happy, if they feel like they're treated with respect, if they feel like they're given a voice, if they feel like you know, the work they do matters and is appreciated, goes a long, long way. And then finally, fairness and consistency. People trust us to do what we do consistently. Whatever that is, that's what they'll trust us to do. And fairness is such a big, 
big component of building trust. There's nothing that destroys trust in teams faster than a, than a feeling of a lack of fairness. All right, number three, inclusion. People support what they create and people trust what they create. When we were talking with the police executives in Alaska last week, as we create these programs and roll them out, including people from every layer of the organization is so important. As you think about major change within your organization, whatever it may be, whether in a hospital setting, you're rolling out you know, a new payment system, you're rolling out a new chart tracking system, right? Whether you're, you know, in, in a factory or in an office environment and there's a major change coming down, as much as possible, including people at every layer of the organization that's going to impact is so important because as leaders, there's, we get disconnected, right? There, there's no way that I'm as connected to what's going on the, on the, you know, the front line of our police officers as I was when I was doing it. There's no way that, you know, as a city manager now that I'm connected on the front lines to what's happening in public works or in the water department or in the building department. There's just no possible way in our finance department. And so for making decisions that impact people, get them involved. Give people a voice. At the end of the day, there might be a lot of suggestions. There might be a lot of ideas. There might be a lot of questions. People respect that we can't always go in their direction. But the fact that they have a voice allows them know, to, to know that they matter, they're cared about, their opinion's important, right? They're seen. And, and so this inclusion piece is really important, especially when we create high levels of psychological safety within the workforce. You know, inclusion creates a sense of belonging. When we're trying to, to fit in, we're, we're just surviving. But when we feel like we belong, that's when we can thrive. And I think this is a, a piece missed a lot by leaders, this intentional inclusion, proactive communication, and, and making sure we have as many pieces of the puzzle that we can have when we make decisions. And then when we roll things out and, and we have good change leadership, it's amazing how smooth things go. Next thing, encouragement and support. How, how does it make you feel when somebody encourages you, when somebody sees more in you than you see in yourself? I know this has happened to me several times in my career. I think back to one of the defining moments when Assistant State's Attorney Lorinda Lampkin asked me what my goals were for my career. And I think I was six or seven years in at the time. I was Detective Sergeant, and my goal was to be a lieutenant. Uh, which is number two or number three within the police department. And she asked me, Danny, why are you shooting so low? And I said, well, well, what do you mean? You know, and she went on to tell me that she thought that I would be a great police chief. Why would I not aim or shoot to be the police chief? And, you know, I really have never aimed or shot to be in any specific position, but she saw something within me, the way that I treated victims, the way I treated suspects, what I believed in in policing. And it was the first time I'd ever thought about being the police chief. And a few years later in 2008, I became police chief at the age of 33. And because of that, it wasn't about the title or anything else. I was able, it opened so many doors to help, you know, at a much higher level of children who are, who are victims of child sexual abuse, of people struggling with addiction and mental illness, of moving and advancing things from fourth vice president of Illinois chiefs and law enforcement to uh, creating, 
you know, programs that help people struggling with mental illness to creating programs like I just presented on for protective protectors. All those doors opened up but without her encouragement, without her support. I'm not sure that I'd ever saw that or I'd ever, um, I'd, I'd, I'd ever accomplished that. And so that's something on a bigger scale, but how can just day in and day out, how can we encourage our people, our team? How can we support them? How can we let them know we're there, we have their back? And so give that some thought and think, how can you be intentional about that? How can you be really intentional about encouragement and support? Something I always say is appreciation is fuel for the soul. I'm going to say it again. Appreciation is fuel for the soul. How many, how many people listening to this episode have ever thought to yourselves, I am sick and tired of how much I'm appreciated around here? Like if, if one other person tells me I'm doing a, a good job or provides encouragement or support, I'm, I'm just walking out of here. I can't stand this anymore. That's ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. And I, the, letting people know we appreciate them, being specific about the things that they're doing well, all that is so important. That's a big part of encouragement, support. I challenge you know, leaders to make sure and to check and to write it down and to track yourself. Are you showing appreciation? Are you showing encouragement? Are you supporting your team? And are you doing it each and every day? All right, number five, justice and consistency. And I talked about this and touched on it a little bit and building trust. But you know, trust is between two people. This is in the organization. And justice which you know what's fair what's right that people are treated not equally because there's there's so equally but not the same we can't treat people the same but there can be sets of of criteria that we use decision making criteria we look at and analyze situations because everything is so different that we can treat them fairly that we can treat them equally you know when we think about justice and consistency, you know, it, a lack of justice, a lack of fairness, a lack of consistency is one of the great destroyers in teams and organizations. It breeds jealousy, envy, backstabbing. It's demoralizing, right? When, when there's not accountability, when it's, it's one set of expectations for this 10 people, but this guy over here is a high performer, so it doesn't apply to him. He can do whatever he wants to. That, that's how you destroy an organization. When I talked about justice and consistency within protecting the protectors, you know, if our tiered three response, which is a very serious incident, it's a, it's a homicide situation, it's an active shooter incident, it's, you know, a, a serious, uh, a, a real nasty death in a, in a traffic accident. If tier three says everybody involved in that incident has to go see the resiliency coach for one session and two people come up and don't want to go and you say, okay, you two don't have to go, but you five do. What message is it sending to the five? It's saying the other two, the, the, the two that don't have to go are stronger than they are, right? So we got to think about the messages we're sending with the lack of justice and lack of consistency. Final thing, number six in creating cultures with very high levels of psychological safety is one voice leadership. When I became the police chief in 2008, this was the biggest issue um, facing our department, or it's what created the biggest issues facing our department. We were a fractured, toxic, and divided organization, 
and the leadership team, the chief, the lieutenants, the sergeants, everybody wasn't on the same page. And there was a lot of backstabbing going on. There was a, there was a lot happening um, when we were looking at direction, going in community policing, telling our story with the media, establishing relationships with the community beyond community policing programs, our focus on drug crimes. And, you know, we can be incredible at connecting with people. We can be incredible at motivating and empowering and inspiring and uniting. We can be incredible at coaching. We can be incredible at mentoring. We can be really good at demonstrating appreciation. But if we're not speaking with one voice as a leadership team, everything will fall apart. You know, when we look at protecting the protectors, um, and creating environments where people feel comfortable to come forward, to say they're struggling, to ask for help. If you've got one person on the leadership team, especially the executive leadership team, that's making negative comments or a joke about this or says something about somebody being weak or makes a comment about, well, I don't understand why they're struggling. I was out on that scene as well. Nobody's coming forward, right? And when we think about one voice leadership and the importance of one voice leadership, and taking people in a certain direction towards a common mission, you know, everybody needs to have a say. Everybody needs to be able, within the executive leadership team, to have their, their voice heard in, in almost everything. But when everybody's had a chance to have their, their say, to share their ideas, to share their feedback, to share their criticisms, to share their concerns, the entire team's got to move forward in one direction. So, that's going to do it for today. We're breaking down the six critical components of psychological safety. Remember, psychological safety being a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with their ideas, questions, concerns, admitting mistakes, or what I've added to Amy Edmondson's definition, asking for help. Um, fear is the great destroyer of psychological safety. And in order for us to reduce fear and to create these levels of psychological safety, six critical elements must exist being human, trust, inclusion, encouragement, support, justice and consistency, and one voice leadership. Interested to get your feedback. Uh, my email is danny.langloss at gmail.com. What do you think about these six critical elements? What do you think about the things that we talked about today? I'm going to be diving deeper into some of these things as we move forward here in the coming weeks, but I'm real interested in getting your feedback um, and, and, and just seeing what you would tweak, what you would change, seeing what your experience has been, hearing a story about how maybe one of these things impacted you and impacted your career. So thank you so much for joining us today. Do me a favor. Uh, do me a favor. When you're exiting out of this, please um, give us a rating or give us a review. It helps us grow more organically. If you're not following on LinkedIn, please join our community of more than 34,000 uh, within our Leadership Excellence community. Send a connection request. Keep up the good work out there. And remember, always be committed to excellence.